football game. I'm at the grocery store. What? I'm at the combination football game and grocery store. Wait, you're at the football game What? and the grocery store? Nah. I'm at the combination football game and grocery store. Groceries through Instacart delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between football and the grocery store. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Here as a parent, 
of three. My firstborn is right there, who is like six foot two. Now I look like a sister. I yet he's <laughs> the child. But I remember when the duty free, they asked me, are we checking it under him or under you? I'm like, I'm the mother. He's a mic. You know? <laughs> then there is the <laughs> there is the other two who are the ones on the spectrum. They look like twins, they're not twins. I think I'm the only parent who did not have floss photos, you know? Like I did not have photos for children. So sorry to burst your bubbles. So but it's a lot of it on social media because then you'll be able to see my entire family there. And it's been an incredible journey of ups and downs. And uh, mine will be from a different point because all I've been hearing is the West, the East, you know. Now let's go to Sub-Sahara Africa and the realities that are there because it is a whole new different story. Because when I sit there and I'm like, wow, if only I could have a tent of the things and the opportunities that are out here, then I think my child would be somewhere totally different, right? Because especially parenting down in Africa, the minute you hear autism, first of all, I remember when I got the diagnosis, for me it was a bit different because we first had gut issues, then we had uh, convulsive disorder, then finally the bombshell came with autism. And um, one of the speakers said that they feel sad when parents are in denial. But for me, for my second child, just to, it took me nine years. And you would think that because my middle child was already, I knew was autistic, it would be easier. It's never easy. Because it felt so unfair. It felt like, is there a God? Like, why would he do this to me, you know? At this point already, I was already a single mom, which is the greatest reality down in, uh, in our continent. Because not all the partners will stick it through with you. And for them it is, oh my God. In the African context, let me just put it that stigma is very, very high. And the minute something is not right, the child shifts from being our child, it becomes, it's the mother's child. So it is automatically your fault when your child has a disability. So that is the first thing you have to deal with. On top of that, you have the entire community where everyone is asking you, what did you do? Who did you go, who, who did you fall out with? What did your parents do? So it's considered like a curse then it is considered that a religious something you did wrong. So everyone is just thinking, what did you do as a mother? So you can imagine yourself, you're trying to just grapple with what is all this. First of all, you had it for the first time. I remember for me it was a blank moment because I've never had the word autism before. And I was just trying to figure out what this is. And you go digging into Google, which kills you the more. Because the things you read, all the I can't, I can't, they can't, they won't, they will never like you go on a, you know when uh, in ICU you get the flat line and the person is dead? That is how we feel. Like you go on like, you know, and you're just, okay, that's the process. But how long we allow ourselves to go is what makes the difference as a parent. So what, we get into reading, we get into asking questions, looking for support groups. All this while for us, you're feeling like, who's going to judge me? I don't want anyone to fear. I'm sure you've seen stories and heard stories of parents locking their kids. In Africa, we have parents tying their children with ropes like goats. Because you have hyperactivity, they have no idea what this is. Everyone is calling your child uh, a mad person, person with mental illness, and you, you, you just don't want that to be the label because you're already dealing with a lot. So what is the easiest thing to do? I will lock them, now I'm alone, I have to adjust my life, I can't get employment, I have to take care of this, and warn to you if you have other children that you have to take care of. So there is no social integration for you, for that child, your life becomes 
a standstill. And all this just adds this fiber to yourself. And uh, our systems don't even help. As much as here, here, there is that center, that center, that center. No. We have zilch. There is no early intervention center that will tell you like, oh, oh yeah, you can go there, you can go there. No. There is a try and find. I'll go to a public school, you go to that public school, your child will be bullied, your child will be returned to center. You know, sometimes I sit and I'm like, oh God, if only this was male, I just put RTS, return to center. And the baby life will be a bit easier, right? When you're looking at all the challenges that are thrown at you, but you don't have that option. You have to deal with it. And when you're looking at um, the entire system in our government systems back in Africa, no one wants to talk about it. That's the fact. Because it's taboo, disability is taboo. Everyone just puts the, the first thing in sorcery. Uh, one of the speakers was shocked being told about, uh, uh, he mentioned that she was asked about exorcism. That's our daily life, man. Everywhere you go, it's like, can you listen Pastor so and so? Have you got prayers over this side? Have you got to, because of that religious belief that something can be done, and you find that everyone is running, health is just trying to find a solution to make it go away. And that is something that at the end of the day does not benefit our children because the more we are taking time, time to look for all these other uh, solutions, listening to the community and what they think about everything else, our child, our children are still regressing and we are not um, Actually, the sad reality is, um, I was given a story of a parent at the coastal region. They are very, very religious and they believe in um, mermaids and all of that. And this lady was told, bring your child and we'll dip them in hot water and they'll be able to walk and they'll be okay. The faith the parents had, they actually did that. They invited them. The child died. They have faith, but faith in the wrong thing. They're willing to do anything, but there is no right information. So what can we do about it in the general space? For autism, the other side of it is at least when you walk with your child, they look like a normal child, right? And when we walk in, our, our environment is the other thing that heightens all the challenges that we face. Because um, when I look at my 13-year-old, he's very handsome, and we're walking at his peak, and then you're holding on to him because you know, you know, if you let go something like him, you just dash this way, touch this person, say hi to everyone. And now they're in our social uh, status these days, people don't believe in being polite and all that. So they're, they're looked at like being different because if you, even if you're looking for inclusion and you say, oh, we need special provision, maybe lining up because there are heightened uh, limitation in waiting and time taking and ATC, people don't listen because they're like, but he looks okay. What are you talking about? He looks okay and people are not aware. So we are, as much as everyone else is discussing acceptance, we are still stuck in inclusion and awareness, especially awareness. The gap in Africa for awareness is still very, very um, intense. And for us as parents, we usually go through the cycle. We find ourselves as parents, especially as children, in something that we cannot change. But there is something that we can't change, how we go about it. We allow ourselves, as a mother, I always say, when I'm speaking to fellow parents, I'm saying, let's allow ourselves to go through the motions. When you get the diagnosis, Accept. It will not be instant. Let nobody like you. Like tomorrow, I'll sleep and I'll be okay. Everyone has their own time to deal and to process. And the entire community what you can do is just understand, support, hold my hand. Let me cry when I want to cry because we cry a lot. You never see it, but we cry and we go through depression. I can tell you there is a time I tried to commit suicide. I thought decided, no, it's not your time. I 
now I know why I had to continue being here to be able to do this. But you know, it feels so overwhelming. And that depression, when you're thinking about, the thing about mental health, when you're going through depression, everything makes sense to you. You feel like it will be better if you're not here. If I leave them, the parents will take them. They'll be much better. I can't deal with this. You know, I can't have, And as you're doing your execution plan, it's, it's okay. Trust me, everything feels right at that. But everyone will be continue blaming you. And um, there will be a lot of rejection. And then the one that's usually most painful is that person who you made these children with, walking away from you. But you have to continue with this journey. Sometimes I'm like, I wish I was a man, man. You know, I would have walked out and it would be so easy. And no one will blame you. Try walking out as a mother. Everyone will come for you. And that's the reality. People, there, there is that. Um, uh, what do we call it? Double standards where, like, oh, it's okay for them to do this, but it's not okay for you to do this. But you see, at the end of the day, as parents, we are women. But what we need to do is go through the sequel, understand that it is okay not to be okay. It is okay to talk to someone. It is okay to go and read. It is okay to also um, get into a community and uh, people who listen to you, people who understand your work, as well, as much as your work is not going to be like everyone else. Because sometimes all you need is someone to tell you, take a nap. Mercy. How many times have you just wished, like, if someone would tell you just one hour? You know, like, I can actually sleep for one hour because the journey is not easy. You're always running from this person to another person, just trying to be there for your child. I'll tell you one story why I put attitude and communication there. This is to me directly to our service providers. You spend maybe one hour with my child, I spend the rest of the time with that child. And there is a lot of other things, when you see me as a parent, there is a whole lot of track load of things that I am dealing with that maybe you might not be able to see, but you will just see me when I am there with you. So I, as go, I already separated, so I have three kids, Two who are the same. This one is already displaying the signs and symptoms of autism. I've been given the first diagnosis. I said no. I've done CT scans. I've been put on um, anesthesia meds for the middle child. The last one also were getting febrile convulsions. I have to see a neurologist. And remember all these specialists are people you've never had to deal with before. So you're still learning who is what, what do they do. And I go to this neurologist. I've gone to another one. It was medicine, 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 and nothing was changing. So I changed this other more experienced person. And I went there and I was like, I don't have medical insurance. So kindly, please. Uh, my son is not well, but because um, it was why did you come for the last session? Like it's $45 coming for a session. And I'm, I'm calculating how much medicine we are opening on Kepra. This one is also on medication and it's being put and I have to bring both of them. And when you're sitting and doing your your mathematics, because I had to put my job, like most of us, you had to have to do, and you have to deal with raising these children. And you know what the doctor told me, then what are you doing here? You know, you're the doctor. I came to see you. I just want to know what, what can I do? But because I said I cannot afford this, you're asking me what am I doing here? A little bit of humanity goes a long way. Just everything from our professionals. Because sometimes, it, I think as a parent it would have been easier to say what are you going through. I, I didn't need more judgment on top of the judgment that I had. Because one week later we were back in HDU with the child having had convulsions and the doctor didn't show up. 
that's your doctor. That's the person who I'm committing my child's life uh, into his hands. And he did not show up just because at that point, they remembered, oh, she doesn't have insurance, she was struggling with funds, and little did they know that I had already tried to figure it out and um, I could have afforded it. But trust me, that was the end of that relationship. There was no going back to that neurologist. But as much as everyone else said, oh, you're the best, but for me, that drop of humanity and understanding is all that I needed at that point. Because when you're walking in and you're just you by yourself, just trying to do what and to try to navigate and trying to understand. Compassion is all you need because it would have been it would have been some different situation to someone they said was going also through mental health. Just that one comment would have been enough to tickle them to fall off of the the bandwagon. As caregivers, I think we have to manage our expectations. Um, in terms of we all give back, we all want this child we have, what we want to them to be where we, where we see them, but unfortunately that's not always what we have to get. So we just have to adjust it um, and, and look at what it is that our children can do. And in our life, this is exactly how it feels. So we all, how many of us have watched Bad Box? It was very, very, yes. So it is a mother with two kids, you're supposed to navigate across a river, blindfolded, you've never been there before, you're just rowing, and if you open your eyes and you have to walk with the children, there were two of them, and that's how it feels when we're navigating through this journey of autism. Because there is no guidance whatsoever, you don't know where you're going, you're just trying to do the best you can. And you've heard from my uh, previous speakers, like I said, um, I, I'm, I'm gone here, it has worked, this has not worked, I've tried this, I've tried my job. But as a parent, we go the extra mile. We try and do everything we can to be able to make sure that our kids get the best of, this, of, of what is out there. And most people say disability, people with disabilities, in, remember we're speaking African context here. Um, the notion is people with disabilities are poor, but actually disability is very expensive. If I was to convert the cost of service to what it would mean when you're looking at that, we call them Mama Moga, these are the small scale farmers or the small the women who are selling goods by the roadside, they live on a dollar a day or less. Then you're adding therapy, which is around ten dollars per session, they need to do three, you add ST, you add medicine for those who need, and they need to feed the rest of the family. Yet they live the only maybe one dollar in a day. How do you make that happen? So the challenges that are there um, in our systems are usually a bit different. And that brings me to that, our reality. All of us, as caregivers, parents, and uh, persons with disabilities, are in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat for sure. We have the same challenges, but we have different levels of challenges and different faces of the challenges that we actually are going through. Because what is easy, because I was listening and I'm like, oh, there is this center, you have options, we don't have options. When you're looking at school setup, we don't have schools. You walk into government school, when here we're talking about 1 to 10 ratio, we're speaking of 1 to 35. And that 1 to 35 class, there is nothing else they're doing, they're just being put together, and you have one teacher who's supposed to manage children with all different variances of autism, others with cerebral palsy, others with mental health challenges, but it's a special unit that has to be there. But according to our systems and our government, when it comes to children with disability, it's a tick, because we have a special unit. It's basic, we've ticked the box. Yet we are part of the great thing that we signed. We are very proud to serve the country. 
part of SDGs tick. UNCRPD is tick, and we are very proud of it. But when you go when you go down to the ground, it is a totally different um, story altogether. Our classes have no equipment. When I come to look at OT items online, and I'm like, this would be so great. And you're like, okay, where do I even start? As easy as it is, you go to Prime, go to Amazon, click. It is delivered. That does not exist. I will wait a month. If it comes in one piece and the tax they decide to put on top of it, that is it. So the choices are very, very limited for us as parents. And you find even as much as you see, um, when I was in the UK doing my research, because my sister is there, she has a DS child, I had the opportunity to walk into a school. And I was like, holy shit, free education? Man, you have actually an IEP that works. Like I sat in an IEP and I'm seeing, oh, social worker, this is the hard side job, this is the report from, I'm like, my IEP goes like this. The child can't, couldn't, wouldn't, we'll be able, we'll try, let's try, this one, no, how is it at home, and that's it. And that is where we are saying, those are our special schools, and those are the places now that actually have tried. An IEP is a box that is ticked in some schools, and some of them actually don't even know what an IEP is. So when you're looking at the entire structure and the entire government of how to bring up a child, trust you me, back in Africa is a whole different story altogether. But when we talk about parental empowerment, we're talking about us parents have to come and, and now bring the change. We're looking at the equity that we want. What we see out there is what we want back to home. We want to come at home collaboration. We want to come and see and learn and benchmark and go home and do something. Most of the things we've heard about it is parenthood, right? All the things and the beautiful things we are hearing and information, it is a parent who was affected. They were affected enough to want to create an effect. And as you're talking about equality and equity, back home it is all, all of your people with disability will do this. We actually have, this is very controversial. I sit in the National Council of Veterans with Disability in my country. Where I'm talking about we want to see change, we want to be included as a neurodiverse community because neurodiversity did not exist. When you tell anyone about neurodiversity, they'll be like, what, what is it, what is that? So they do not know. So it is upon us as caregivers to educate. It is upon us who have learned and understood and accepted to go back to the grassroots to actually educate everyone around us. And I always say that in the statistics have it that one in every 20 children has a disability. What does that mean? Do we see it and just say, oh my God? Let's look at the other side. That means for every 20 children, you have at least one teacher for them. So let's change the how we look at it. Let's not feel sorry for that one child, but look at it that now we have an opportunity to teach the 19 children practically about what disability is. And the earlier we start, the better. For parents, sometimes you always feel like there is nothing I can do. No. And, and as we heard about earlier uh, one of the speakers saying that the child was being mistreated in school, but other parents were being quiet. As a parent, it is upon you. You are the mouthpiece for that child. It is you to speak up. It is you to say, this is not right for my children. It is you to stand up and say, enough is enough. We want change. Because we have the power to do that. But if we all, because our thing is, um, we want to stay within our circles, our parent circles, we sit among, we cannot do this amongst ourselves. We already know what autism is. Our children will grow up and they will have to go back to the community. But if we keep talking and just talking amongst ourselves, 
we're not going to bring the change that we want to see. We're talking about our children being in the system. We're talking about our children being integrated. We're talking about our children being part of the community. But they cannot be part of the community when we've created our own enclosed communities where no one else understands how to, to coexist with our children. So it is upon us to make sure that that neighbor of yours understands what autism is. And you are the awareness champion. You are the, going to be the mouthpiece and, uh, and the voice for your child. So when anything does not work, it is you who's supposed to stand up and say that this is not right, you deserve better. And at the center of it, when it comes to service provision, you know, I think if you tell me anything to be done that a child needs, I think I know how to do it. And that's what being a parent means. You become so empowered that you can do anything. When we're talking about being a superpower, when I went to do this study, someone asked me, why would you do that? I'm like, but that's my life, all right? It has a heart, and my heartbeat, and my superpower side. And like, how is it a superpower? Because I was able to discover so many things I did not know I could do. When it comes to being the barber, today my son does not feel like it because sensory issues, it's okay. I'll buy the barber, I'll do the shaving in my house because I have to do it. I will understand him better when he does not feel like he has to be in the crowd. I will calm him down. You have to learn, you've heard about homeschooling, quitting your job to do it at home. That means you're not, I will not teach to save my life on the adults children <laughs> but you try you try you don't have an option you have to become an educator you have to become that doctor you trust your gut you trust your instinct when something is wrong you're the first person to know when you're sitting in that uh, session with your doctor when you need to be hard because you're the one who knows when they if they did not sleep well you're the one who was in the house so when you're going for all these services you have to be that accountant, you have to be that note taker, you have to be the one following the program and ensuring that you know everything. So let yourself be empowered enough to be able to have all these things. As much as it is tiresome, as much as sometimes you just wish you, we want to wish it away, but it is our reality. But remember, you are the main expert. You are the one who they look up to. And when we empower ourselves, Trust you, hey, you saw each red doctor, right? She said, doctor, <laughs> I know you've had so many doctors today. Me, I'm a doctor from hard knock because of raised two kids, 13 and 11. Combine that, I have 29 years of experience in real life autism bringing up and doing change in the community. I would not have done all these things. Yesterday, I was a different person. You saw me with a sash, Miss Africa. You think I, 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 that's something that at my age, I'm actually going to turn 40. It's something I wanted to do, but it was just a means to an end. I sacrificed my three years to go for this pageant at 37 so that I would get a platform to be able to stand up and for my country to be There is a difference when I write a letter to the head of state and say, Miss um, Sylvia Mutaka. There was a difference when I wrote a letter to the first lady and I said, Miss Africa in 2020. They reply. So we do a lot of sacrifices. We change our lives. We sacrifice things. We learn things we never thought we could even do just to get the means um, to be able to get our children hard, to be able to pursue the cost to be hard. And I'm very proud of UAE. I got to the airport and I'm like, I'm seeing autism, I'm seeing a cab, I'm seeing autism. Do you know when we are organizing our events, even a corporate, you speak autism and they're like, what? Now, you know, they just look at 
how many people are you inviting? You know, like, remember what I said about uh, disability and being uh, poverty kind of thing. So they're like, they won't buy a product. Like you don't, Matt, you don't count. So we've lost that, even that humanity. You know, so sometimes I'm like, you just can't see it. It is me today. It could be you. Look at the numbers we saw yesterday. We had one to thirty. You've not finished giving back. You have a daughter who will give back. You don't know when it will come knocking to your door. Sometimes when we post on Facebook, you're talking about when I talk about me, my dog, my kids, where we went, everyone will be like 100 likes, 200 likes. When I say autism, this, this, 10 likes, 5 likes. But you see, behind the scenes of a time what I've seen, I will have that one person who slide and say, Sylvia, I got diagnosed yesterday. What do I do? What do I do? Did you like my post? <laughs> but generally, whatever you do, just keep doing it. You might not get the results that you want right now. It might not be immediate. But continue being the protector. Continue taking those bullets to protect your child. Because um, sometimes, most of the time, when we go out in Africa, there is a lot of stigma and uh, bullying for our children. Because I remember, like, the time I wanted my son to really play, and he got into this trampoline. They went all of them. And the kids came out because he's drooling. You know, he doesn't look like them. By his age, he's supposed to be talking. He's not talking to them. He does not have enough fine motor skills to jump in the trampoline. So he was sat, depending on their jumping, to give him that up and down motion. But they all left. I was watching. I think I felt like dying. I went back. I got him out. Pretended I took him for a walk. After a while, the kids went back. I took him back. Before I went in, one kid asked me, why is he weird? So as a parent, I'm sure, <laughs> you know how that feels. You feel like you've been stopped. But you swallow that, and I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, why is he not talking? Why is he drooling? He's a big boy, he's not a child. But that's the reality, they don't know. But every, every, every opportunity you get to become that mouthpiece, every opportunity you shield your child so they don't get to feel that pain. One thing I always say I'm very proud of my firstborn. He does not even know this, but one day I was in bed on a Saturday. It was the only time I could rest. There were all of them playing. Then one of the kids said, come for a birthday, but don't come with your brothers. Do you know what he said? It's all of us or none of us. You should take time to learn who they are and you will see they are okay. Daniel, I appreciate you. Okay? Like we say, it's not about one person or that person, it's the entire family that gets affected. 360. He had to grow up faster than him. Had to. Because there's just two of us and two others who need everything from us. You know? So when when when, when life happens. We are just <laughs> because parenting is about celebrating your child at the point they are, taking your child for who they are and not what you wanted them to be. And that's the easiest way to just go through the motions. Because you know that I don't have expectations. Trust you me, I have big dreams of how my son will be this or be that. My last one right now, they're all going through this teenage mode and it's a whole different level of challenges altogether. I'm like, I just I just I was just getting a hung of it. Then all of a sudden we are changing, we are getting new challenges.
teachers are not being spoken to, we are not speaking at school, we are become violent, and you're like, when will this cycle ever stop? You want to do everything you want, you can't, and it's so hard to make it happen. So what I always say is like, when the stones are thrown at you, take them and make the ladder and use it to step to the next level, right? So from all these experiences, what I decided to do through Andy Speaks, the foundation that we caused, we usually every year do a ride for autism. We do organize uh, medical camps for other parents just to lighten the burden. Uh, we are doing, we're setting up therapy centers in public schools. Because you can imagine I have to leave work to take my child to therapy. I have to take them speech this time, what is the next, you know, uh, see the neurologist. We like sustain a job really with that shedding. So the solutions, are, the solutions are amongst ourselves. We are the ones to change the narrative. We are the ones to bring in the solutions that we know that will work. And why we are here, most of us from, from Africa, is also to see what is out there. Then we see how best we can come together. How best can we um, uh, mind what is being done out there to make it work for us back in Africa. And see that things are different. And see that our children can be able to catch up and be the best version of who they can be because it's not our own mating as the world would say because that in Africa it's not our fault but we have to change the narrative so let us change it, let us bring everyone else on board and let us be the parents who change how everyone else look at us as, as your child let's see the able and not the label because if we've seen with all the stories it is because that parents made a sacrifice. It is because of the sacrifices that the parents made that their children have made the great progress. From the from speaking we've seen, from uh, making the computer, from fixing phones, it's because that parents gave up everything to make sure that their child gets the best of, of, of life and their, their own potential to be who they are. So in conclusion, I would like to encourage my parents, let us embrace our situation, accept the situation, and plan. The thing that we're discussing with my friend from Tanzania, what keeps us up at night, what happens when I'm gone? And we're trying to change that narrative now. Because if we set the systems, if we participate, and, and, and that's why when, the, when, when I was asked to sit in the National Council of our government, it is because by being inside the government, I'll be able to guide them. Being inside government, I'll be able to tell them how exactly things ought to be done and how exactly um, everyone else is doing things and that will, will be able to change the policies. And the one thing we never tell you, man, as everyone always tells me, how many times have you been told you are strong, I cannot do what you do? <laughs> how has it been for you? That's your daily routine. Like in Africa, also, like, you are so strong, you're my idol. I'm human, man. I am human at the end of the day. I get tired. At the end of the day, I want to run away. At the end of the day, I have to deal with what God has dealt me. And I have to do the best. I want to sleep, I want more energy, I want to take more vacations, but when you have the decks in your hand, that's what you have to deal with. And so let's empower ourselves, let us be able to take all we can, the best we can, and turn it into the best for our children so that the world is a better place them to be able to be the best the best version of who they can be. Thank you very much.
When you download the Kroger app, you have easy access to savings every day. Get the most out of weekly sales and receive personalized coupons to save on your favorite items, all while earning one fuel point for every dollar spent. Kroger makes it easy to save while you shop, whether it's in-store or online, so you get the most value out of every trip, every time. Download the Kroger app now to save big on your next purchase. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Must have a digital account to redeem offers. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. Kroger always gives you savings and rewards on top of our lower-than-low prices. And when you download the Kroger app, you can enjoy over $500 in savings every week with digital coupons. Plus, you can earn fuel points to save up to $1 per gallon at the pump. So it's easy to save big. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. We've locked in low prices to help you save big store-wide. Look for the locked-in low prices tags and enjoy extra savings throughout the store. Kroger, fresh for everyone. It's really nice to be here, and we're going to have Dr. Temple with us live right now. Dr. Temple does not need an introduction. Can you tell I'm one of the biggest fans here? But Dr. Richard will introduce her. No, it's my great pleasure and privilege to introduce Dr. Temple Grandin. Um, Dr. Grandin is an American academician, behavioral animal behaviorist and internationally renowned spokesperson for autism spectrum disorder. Dr. Grandin is one of the first autistic people to demonstrate the insights that she has gained from her personal experience of autism. She is currently a faculty member with animal sciences in the College of Agricultural Sciences at Colorado State University. Based on her experience, Grandin advocates early intervention to address autism and support teachers and professionals who can redirect children and adults with um, in fruitful decisions and directions. She has been an outspoken proponent of animal rights and the neurodiversity movements. In 2010, Temple Grandin was listed as one of the 10 most influential people in the world by Time 100, which named her in the heroes category. In 2011, she received a double helix medal and has received many honorary degrees from many universities, including McGill, Swedish University of Agricultural Sciences, Carnegie Mellon, etc. Grandin has been featured on many media programs. She was the subject of an Emmy and Golden Globe winning biographical film, Temple Grandin. In 2018, Grandin was featured in the documentary, This Business of Autism, which explored autism employment and the success of autism employers. She has been written up in Time, People Magazine, Discover, Forbes, and the New York Times. She is best known for designing the Hug Machine, which is a deep pressure gadget planned to calm extremely sensitive people, which are ordinary people with autism. And I know her personally, working with her as a colleague to sequence her entire genome, to read the chromosomes from end to end and make sense of that as to how they 
caused her condition and how they continue to influence her life. And I'll never forget the working with her to do that. And if you're interested in what we found out, um, come to my lecture tomorrow at 11 something. So I'm um, introduced, I'm um, Dr. Grandin. And also a lot of emphasis on skills, like getting dressed, combing your hair, brushing your teeth, um, eating with utensils. Well, if you, one little tip with these kids, you have to give them time to respond. They're like a phone that's only got one bar of service. And slow down when you talk to them. And when the grown-ups talked fast, it went to gibberish. Can you put the next slide up, please? Now, the thing about autism is it goes all the way from Einstein, who had no speech until age three, to somebody who has much more severe um, uh, uh, autism when they become nonverbal, but some of the ones that are nonverbal can learn to type independently. But a brain can be more social emotional, or a brain can be more interested in what they do. And having an interesting career has been very important to me. I'm I'm really happy that I'm a professor. I've got graduate students, and I've done a lot of research in animal behavior. I have three graduate students that have become university professors. I'm very very happy about that. So a brain can be more social, emotional, or a brain can be more interested sort of in what they do. This is why I think it's important to get kids out doing interesting things. Um, some of these kids that get addicted to video games, um, one of the ways to get them off the video games is have them fix motorcycles, have them fix cars. The one thing that's worked, they find out that maybe fixing those motorcycles is much more interesting than the video games. And that's something that can turn into a career, and it's a skill that other people want. Let's go to the next slide. Shows a picture of Thomas Edison. He would probably be autistic today. He dropped out of school. Now, fortunately, he had a mentor. And he had um, a mentor that taught him how to use the telegraph. It's really important for students to get exposed to things. I didn't originally, I was not originally in the cattle industry. I got exposed to it as a teenager. And I had very good teachers and mentors starting with my mother when I was very young. She was always pushing me to do new things. She encouraged my ability in art. Um, I had a wonderful uh, primary school teacher. I had a wonderful science teacher who got me interested in studying with all kinds of interesting projects to do. Um, good teachers are so important. Let's go to the next slide. There's Einstein. He would probably be in an autism program today. Let's go to the next slide. The next slide up, please. Now, I'm a kind of a NASA fan. And uh, I got five years ago, I got a chance to go visit uh, Cape, uh, visit this launch pad. Uh, this was like so much fun. And what I learned when I went there is the astronauts, uh, they, may have, they had the, we call it the right stuff. But they were people that had Tourette syndrome, that were dyslexia. They were building the launch pad. They were um, uh, designing control rooms. There were people there at NASA, really smart people, that were, you know, some of them probably were on the autism spectrum. I've been to many, many NASA sites. And if you look at the old um, videos of going to the moon, look at the people in that control room. I think there was quite a few autistic people there. And they were really happy that they got to be involved in that project. Let's go to the next slide. Now, I've got emotions, but I get emotional over interesting stuff I do. And um, Voyager spacecraft now is 45 years old. 
The scientists are in their 80s now. They are still tracking it. They've managed to keep it going. For a long time, they had to work out of a storefront next to a McDonald's, but they kept it operating with no funds. And I can get really into that because it's so cool what they're doing. They're still learning from this spacecraft that's 45 years old. Let's go to the next slide. Yeah, past Saturn, we can go to the next slide. And then you've got the um, you've got the techies down there that keep that antenna going. Yeah, they probably have to do it at three o'clock in the morning. I got a chance to sit at the original um, uh, mission control um, desk. That was really, really cool. Go to the next slide. Now let's not get hung up on the labels. Autism is this big spectrum. And the problem with autism is they keep changing the diagnosis. Originally, you know, maybe well, 30 years ago or so, you had to have speech delay to be labeled autistic. And then they added Asperger's syndrome where you could be socially awkward, no speech delay. And then in 2013, they merged everything together and you've got a spectrum that's going from Einstein to somebody that may have much more severe uh, problems. But I can't emphasize enough on working with the little kids because when I was three, I looked very, very severe. And we can go to the next slide. I have grandparents that come up to me all the time and they find out they're autistic when the kids get diagnosed. That just happens all the time. And sometimes adults later in life getting diagnosed helps them with their relationships. But I'm concerned that too many fully verbal smart kids on the spectrum get so hung up on the label, the parents get hung up on the label, that the kid's not learning basic skills like shopping, learning how to save money, doing laundry, just very, very basic things. Another big problem I'm seeing is not making the transition into the world of work. Work skills are not the same skills as academic skills. We need to start children when they're 11 years old, maybe I'm volunteering at a fruit stand or something like that, where they learn how to work for somebody outside the family on a schedule. Go to the next slide. Now that's uh, me uh, having a real fun time at the vehicle assembly building. We'll show another slide. All the cool stuff I got to go do there, like go up on the roof and I wasn't supposed to. That was really cool. All right, let's just get back to the uh, getting important stuff in autism. Let's talk about some basic issues here. Sudden surprises scare. Okay, let's say a child's gonna go to a new school. We'll try to visit it maybe before they go there or look at the website. Um, the other thing um, that's difficult for a lot of individuals with autism is multitasking, when you rapidly have to multitask. But we've got to get these kids out doing stuff. We've just got to do that. And I was brought up in the 50s and we used a method, I call it teachable moments. So let's say I took my drink right here and I stirred it with my finger. That's not, that's bad table manners. Now, my mother, instead of saying no, she would say, use the spoon. People think it's disgusting when you put your finger in the cup. She would give the instruction instead of saying no. That was a, my generation, a method of teaching social skills. And social skills were taught in a much more structured manner than they are today. We need to limit the screen time, the phones and the computers to about an hour a day. And we need to get kids out doing things on um, today, I saw some kids out playing in the playground that's near my house, and that's the kind of stuff that kids should be doing. Let's go to the next slide. So there's the teacher there working with a the, the really young kid, 
And the thing I have found on very young children's programs, some teachers just have the ability to work with these little kids. Now, if you've got a little kid that's not talking, the worst thing you can do is let them just sit and play with a phone all day. That's the worst thing you can do. You need to get an effective teacher working with them. And I find some teachers have the ability and some don't. Let's go to the next slide. Teaching turn-taking. That was done with me with board games. You have to learn how to wait. That's something that's very important for young autistic children to learn how to wait. And we'll go on to the next slide. Teachable moments. We already talked about that. You don't yell and say, stop it. You give the instruction and the reason why. Let's go to the next slide. You need to limit the video games. One of the things that I was not allowed to do when I was in high school was just become a recluse in my room. I was not a good student. I was a terrible student, but I still had to attend the classes. You know, too many of these kids are just getting on the electronics and just staying in their room playing video games all day, and they're not getting wonderful jobs in the video game industry. And if they were getting wonderful jobs in the video game industry, I'd be a lot more positive about it. But some young adults, again, addicted to video games, the one thing that was successful in getting them off of it was working on motors and engines. And they found out that they were more interesting than the video games. Let's go to the next slide. Now, my mother would always stretch me to new, do new things but she always gave me a choice. You know, we could go to this store or that store, or you could do this activity or some other activity. Always giving choices. You can do your homework when you get home from school, or you can do your homework after dinner, giving some choices. And one of the things that helped me uh, being raised in the 50s is um, we had sit down dinners, and you know, the, my sister and my parents would take turns telling about their day. Unfortunately, in some families, um, that's not happening. And this was part of um, part of uh, getting me to be a lot more social. And and you can learn business social. Another thing that was done in my family is when we were seven or eight years old, and it was done with most of the families in my generation, is when I was a little kid, I had to dress up in my good clothes when the parents had a party, and I had to serve the snacks. I had to shake hands with them, learn how to talk to them. Really, really good social training. Go to the next slide. Let's talk about sensory issues. Sensory issues are really real. And loud sounds like a school bell or hair dryer or maybe a vacuum cleaner would hurt my ears. Now, one of the ways to help a child to tolerate these sounds is to let the child play with the vacuum cleaner where they turn it on. They turn the hair dryer on. And when the child turns the dreaded noisy thing on, they often get to where they can tolerate it better because they are controlling it. Now, there's some kids wearing headphones all the time. And the problem is, if you wear headphones all the time, and that's on the next slide, um, the sound sensitivity may get worse. So what you want to do is have them with you. You can have them in your backpack. So they're with you. They give you control. You've got them with you, but then you try not to wear them because you, I've heard stories where they were wearing headphones all the time and the child got so sensitive he couldn't tolerate quiet conversation at the dining room table. 
but sensory problems really are real. Um, sensory integration methods can be helpful. There's a paper you can look up online that's called Environmental Enrichment is an Effective Treatment for Autism. And it's a method where you stimulate two senses at the same time, uh, maybe touch a, a warm uh, coffee cup and then um, uh, smell some aromatherapy. So you're stimulating two senses at the same time. And the title of the paper is Environmental Enrichment, an Effective Treatment for Autism. Now, let's say we have a nonverbal older child or adult and, and problems with maybe destructive behavior or hitting. The first thing with somebody who cannot speak is give them a way to communicate. Not being able to communicate is totally frustrating. Also, you have to rule out, do they have a painful medical problem that they can't tell you about? That's the first thing you made to make sure they don't have acid reflux. I had acid reflux last night because I ate some hot sauce. I wish I hadn't eaten. And I, 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 uh, you know, my, my stomach was hurting last night. Uh, but, the, but the sensory overload, if they have a, a, you know, a meltdown or outburst in a busy, noisy store, that is probably sensory overload. But we've also got to give them a way to communicate. That is just super, super important. Um, there's a next slide just shows that sensory symptoms are part of the neurobiology of autism. Now, when I was a little kid, they tested me for two things, deafness and epilepsy. Now, I could pass the deafness test, but the problem is my ability to hear auditory details impaired. Like if the grown-ups talk fast, it was when Adults talked fast. It's like, blah, 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 blah. that's what it sounded like. Because I didn't hear the, the hard constant sounds. Like if someone said the word cat and they said it fast, I would hear ah. So my speech teacher would say cat ta, or she'd hold up a cup and she'd say cup pa. And she switched back and forth between saying cup and cup pa. Because if people talked fast, then all I heard were the vowel sounds. Stretch out and enunciate the, um, the consonants. And, and sometimes um, I'm hearing would kind of cut in and out like a bad mobile phone uh, connection. There's kind of three ways that the brain can have a problem with language. I'm not hearing the auditory detail, where I'm hearing gibberish. <laughs> Trouble with getting my speech out, expressive. And then the next slide, I talk about echolalic children. And echolalic children, they have good speech and they will recite an entire movie script. But the problem is they don't know what the movie script means. That's the problem. So in Life Animated, what these parents did is they, this uh, child had memorized Disney movie and they um, picked out phrases in the movie that could be used in real life. And then their son started to figure out um, that words had meaning. So an echolalic kid, you've got to teach them that all this language you're yakking out has meaning. So there's kind of three ways the brain can be messed up. The next slide talks about attention shifting slowness. Now, if I was a computer, I've got a very, very small, um, you know, I'm an Intel 286. I mean, if you're a computer geek, uh, that's the first chip. But I have huge memory. Attention shifting slowness. This is why you have to give the child time to respond. 
The next slide shows tension shifting slowness. It's an old Ami Klin slide, and look at how the uh, normal person's looking at the eyes. But the other more important thing in this slide is look at how many times the normal person looked back and forth compared to the autistic person who's trying to lip read. Tension shifting slowness. All right, now let's look at things where this could cause a problem at work. I want to see these kids get employed, and I want to avoid the jobs such as rapid multitasking at a McDonald's takeout window. That would be a very bad job. Another problem is I don't have any working memory. So if, um, let's say, I have to like shut down the cash register at night at a store, and then maybe five or six steps, I need to write them down. I need to write the steps down like a pilot's checklist. Long yakety yak strings of verbal information do not work with me. Let me make a pilot's checklist. Okay, and if you don't want to disclose autism, just say to your employer, pilots need a checklist. I need one too. And for pilots, it's mandatory. In every country in the world, pilots have to use checklists. Now, I'm talking about giving the child uh, time to respond. When I was five years old in school, we had a little assignment where we had to name the pictures that began with B as in beautiful. So I called the suitcase a bag and the teacher marked it wrong. And she didn't give me time to explain that in our house, they weren't suitcases, they were bags. And that was very, very frustrating for me. In the next slide, we're going to be talking about some visual problems. I don't have visual processing problems, but some individuals do. And vision might break up similar to a migraine headache. Or this next slide that shows an image that's breaking up. Uh, uh, seeing probably wouldn't be a primary sense if that's the way things look like. And this may explain why a number of people that do not speak touch and smell things, because those senses provide. Um, uh, accurate information. And we'll go on to the next slide that shows an escalator. Now, in your brain, um, you have the eyes that work like a camera, but then in the back of the brain, there's circuits that assemble the graphics file for shape, color, motion, and texture. And if there's something wrong with those circuits. Print may jiggle on the page when you try to read. These kids are often terrified of escalators because they can't tell how to get on and off of it. So you have a child that hates an escalator. The chances are it has a visual processing problem and, and the eye exam may be more or less normal. And if you have a child that can't read, um, the next slide shows print jiggling on the paper. Uh, try different pale colored papers. Now this is my children's project book right here. Well, um, you see the light blue paper color right there. Try printing on um, uh, the, uh, the homework and the reading materials on maybe light tan paper, light gray paper, all these different colored papers. That sometimes really works for some types of dyslexia. Just try different colored paper, try different colored backgrounds on your computer, on your laptop or on the iPad. The next slide I talk about lighting issues. And one of the big ones now is LED lights that flicker. And one of the ways that you can determine if LED lights are bad is take pictures of them in slow motion. So you want to wave like this, because when you play it back, you want to make sure it's playing back in slow motion. 
and you're gonna find some flat screen TVs that flicker. Now, tablets do not flicker. Most laptops do not flicker, but there's gonna be some flat screen TV mo uh, computer monitors that are bad. And this does not affect all, all people with autism, but I'm gonna say about 10 or 20% may have a problem with seeing flicker of, of LED lights or on uh, TVs and computer monitors. So what do you do if you have that problem? You go buy a lamp and you find an LED light that does not flicker and you put it next to the desk. And they, the, you can buy cheap ones that don't flicker. But this is something that's a real problem. And when I get asked about designing this uh, school or a home for people with autism, I wanna make sure we have LED lights that do not flicker. I just learned from a technical specialist that if a TV flickers, it has to do with the internet connection. Um, but this this kind of stuff um, needs to be fixed and you can just test it with slow motion video. The next slide just talks about some more severe um, sensory issues. In noisy environments, I am not able to hear because of all the background noise, cannot hear. Um, and I also cannot follow very rapid chit chat conversations where people get very social, chit chatting back and forth, very rapidly, I get bored with that. Um, and this question's coming up about masking. Um, some of that stuff's just too hard for me to do, but you can always do some business social, you know, shake hands with people. There are some individuals that need breaks, um, but sensory problems are real. Let's go on to the next slide. The next slide um, talks about this environmental enrichment program where you use inexpensive, cheap things to stimulate two senses at the same time. You're always changing the things that you stimulate and it's an adjunct or an add-on to other types of therapy. Now, the next slide shows some really wonderful books for um, um, that have been written by non-speaking um, autistics. Now, I really like um, How Can I Talk My Lips Don't Move by Tito. I had a chance to meet Tito and he came into a library and he was flapping and and everything. And I wanted to see, um, I tested him with a really, really strange picture that he had never seen before. And it had an astronaut in a spacesuit riding a horse out in the desert. And I showed that to Tito and he types really fast, Apollo 11 on a horse. Another good book's Carly Fleischman's, uh, um, Arthur Fleischman's Carly's Voice. Then you've got The Reason I Jump, the sequel to The Reason I Jump. I like the sequel, it's a better book. But I'll give you a little tip about the typing. Remember the problem with attention shift. Okay, like on this desktop, my keyboard's way down here. But when I type, that print appears way up here on the screen here and the keyboard's down below where the video is. Now, many people with autism cannot make that attention shift. And that's the reason why you wanna use a tablet because the virtual keyboard, with using that virtual keyboard, the writing appears right next to the top of the keyboard or you're gonna to have to, on a laptop, put the keyboard on a box and you need to make sure it's a monitor that does not flicker. This is really, really important. Next slide just shows some brain scans. And the point I wanna get across right there, different parts of the brain get turned on when you do different things, like seeing things, hearing words, thinking about things. And where there's a problem in autism is in kind of the inter-office communications. And what you tend to get is uneven skills. Like I'm really good at art and mechanical stuff. Somebody else might be really good at mathematical stuff. 
and we'll just show some more pretty brain scans. Um, next slide shows, oh, that's my skull. Let's show the next slide. That's the microbiome. You see the little tiny hairs there? Uh, those are axon tails, and they form great big uh, inter-office communication cables between different parts of the brain. And then I can show you a slide without my ugly skull. And that's the connectome is much prettier when it's by itself. The next slide shows the circuit in the brain for speak what you see. Now there's a normal control right there, and I'll show you mine. Next slide, that's my speak what you see. And I have all these extra branches for visual thinking, but I have less fibers for speech. So that might explain why I had trouble getting my speech out. But when I had speech therapy, it increases the bandwidth on the fibers that are still left. And the next slide just shows that. And, but this is where the therapy made a difference because I had trouble getting my speech out. Let's go to the next slide. Now, if I speak what I hear, I am definitely not an auditory person. I am definitely a visual person. And we'll go on to the next slide. And I want to talk about the importance of developing strengths. That's an artwork I did when I was about six or seven years old. Mother always encouraged my ability in art. It's a picture of a wooden uh, a dock or deck that was um, by the beach. And she always encouraged my, um, my art. And the next slide just shows a picture a young child did in three-dimensional. Most little kids don't do that. And I would just draw the same horse's head over and over and over again. So mother would broaden my skill. Let's draw the stable. Let's draw the saddle. Or if you have a child that likes cars, let's read about cars, do math with cars, draw pictures of different cars. In other words, broaden that fixation. Broaden the fixation, especially with something like cars that can turn into a career. The next slide just talks about um, um, the art ability being encouraged. Uh, often we'll have uneven skills, really good at art. I was absolutely terrible at mathematics. But then you're going to have another autistic person that's good at math. And we'll go to the next slide where it shows that the way I think it's videos in my head or movies in my head. I'm what's called an object visualizer. And in my new book, Visual Thinking, The Hidden Gifts of People Who Think in Pictures, Patterns, and Abstractions, I discuss three different kinds of thinking that you can have in autism. Most people are mixtures of the different kinds of thinking. But in autism, you might get an extreme object visualizer. That's me. And the HBO movie shows how I think. My kind of mind's good at art, mechanical things, photography, working with animals, absolutely terrible in mathematics. And then you have the next kind of mind is the visual spatial mathematical mind. And the mathematical mind thinks in patterns. And then you have people that think in words. And it's important to you know kind of know how the child thinks. That just shows eclipse shadows on um, where the eclipse, um, the uh, trees made, made little tiny eclipse, uh, eclipses like pinhole camera. That happened on our campus. I noticed detail. I watched a whole bunch of students just walk over that. They just didn't notice it. But I noticed visual detail. The next slide shows two things that can bother cattle like seeing a car through the fence, seeing a piece of red string, seeing a bottle there that might move. 
little things that um, people don't notice. Also in autism, there is a better, um, there's some uh, better ability to uh, pitch discrimination. Um, there's been a lot of research that shows that these sensory things really, really are real. And the next slide shows one of my cattle handling facilities. And one of the, how did I sell my work? One of the things I did to sell my work was to show off pictures of things I had designed. And one thing I really liked in the HBO movie is that it showed my actual projects. It also shows how I think in pictures. It's very, very accurate on that. And I can say that the uh, geek side of me really liked that. The next slide shows um, a recreation of one of my projects in the HBO movie. I thought that was just so cool. I really, really liked that. The next slide shows uh, starting on my very first project. Now, I had some good mentors in the construction industry. On my first project, the Swift plant, 1974, I criticized some welding, and I said it looked like a bird had poo-pooed on it, and that was pretty rude. And the plant engineer pulled me into his office in private and said I had to apologize for that rude kind of talk. He told me what I should do. And then another person that helped me was a small contractor, steel and concrete work contractor, who had seen my drawings and seeked me out. And for 10 years, we built projects together. And so those are on a construction site, some of my early projects. And some of the most fun stuff I ever did was working in construction. And I worked with a lot of people that were probably dyslexic, ADHD, or autistic. Some of these people owned big companies where they made mechanical equipment. They had lots of patents. This I really put the emphasis on the career. This is what's made life uh, happy for me, is having a fulfilling career. The next slides just show some of my drawings. And, and when I showed people my drawings, they were impressed. That's how I sold jobs. Okay, let's work on what are we going to do about job interviews? Well, a job interview for me was lay the drawings on the table and show off the drawings. That's what I did. And they'd look at my drawings and go, well, in fact, actually today, now that everything's computerized drawings, I'm seeing some very bad drawings. And uh, now the next drawing shows a dipping vat system. And you can see on the concrete work, I have all the reinforcing rods drawn in there. Uh, four years ago, I got a really horrible set of drawings that the uh, engineering firm had done on a computer and they didn't hadn't drawn in the reinforcing rods. I marked them all in pencil. And I said, you go back to that engineering firm and, and get it done right. This is a piece of equipment I developed for the meat industry called the center track restrainer system. You can see a lot of complicated steel work there. And one of the people I worked on this was autistic, undiagnosed. Special ed department builds the stuff. And we need these skills. We need to find back doors into jobs, you know, where you just kind of bypass the interview and get jobs. Well, you know, a friend that has a store and maybe they'd be willing to work with the kid. I think I'm going to stop there. You can have the rest of the slides because I'd like to do questions. And I've already talked about some of the most important stuff. But that what you see right there is high end skilled trades. And uh, 
I was very interested and I went to the Steve Jobs Theater right before COVID shut everything down and the glass walls came from Italy and Germany and the carbon fiber roof came from Dubai. That's very, very high-end skill to phrase. That's something to be proud of. All right, let's get some questions going right now. Hope I'm gonna get some questions. Hello? Hello? Yes, let's get some questions. Yeah, just a second. Hi, my name is Sona. I have a son, he is nearly eight years old. And I always have this question because I'm a big fan of you and I know you know a lot about autism and animal behavior. So I wanted to ask, what's the connection between visual sensory preference as um, my cats and my son, they both like similar toys and uh, they have similar visual preference. Is there now, any link? Does your, son, does your son speak? He is speaking, but he is not like having any big vocabulary. So he has very short vocabulary and has sensory issues. What do you have? Does he have a decent way to communicate? Even something out like one of these computerized um, things that will speak or a picture board or something that for him to communicate with? No, we never use like visual uh, pictures like packs. We never use those. So we um, encouraging him to use more spontaneous speech and uh, you know, the speech therapist, the ABA therapist, all of them, what they recommend, we follow that. Well, does it, if he can learn to speak, then you don't need to use pecs. But yeah. if you have a child that has like three word vocabulary mm -hmm. and is eight years old, we need to give him another way to communicate more easily. Mm -hmm. And that, I can remember the frustration when I, uh, when I couldn't communicate. And I remember that, uh, I showed you that picture of the bicycle in the suitcase. And it was so frustrating when the teacher didn't give me time to explain that in our house suitcases were bags. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand the concept of the letter B, the sound of the letter B. Uh, but but he, um, there's a point where, where uh, they need to get, get a better way to communicate. Yeah, some kids can sign language, some kids uh, can, uh, there's various programs you can get for tablets. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, he started talking uh, just uh, before he gets six, so it's really delayed. So that's why. But is he starting to talk? Are you getting more and more language? Yes, yes, and okay. more clarity. Like it takes time. Like it's a step by step. But we had uh, him from severe autism. Now he is in between low and moderate autism. Okay, so well, in the spectrum. Good. If you're getting progress. Uh, yeah. I was asking about different programs. I said the most important thing is you're getting progress. Yes, now, if you're getting progress right now, then you're doing the right thing. Yes, the only problem I'm struggling is his memory and his sensory problems. That kind of restrict him to learn more and focus on uh, uh, tasks and academics. And he's better in maths. As you say, there are a few types of visual learners. He is more into maths and numbers rather than alphabets and okay, reading. Okay. Because I told, said there's a visual kind of autism, that's me. Yeah. But there's also a mathematical. There are kids that are very mathematical. 
He is visual in maths, but he's not very visual in, uh, he's not into reading that much, but he's better in maths, like counting and numbers. He's okay. really good well, with numbers. Good. Then you may, maybe you can move ahead in numbers. Uh, how much do you get things like getting dressed, uh, bathing, these kinds of things? He is very independent. Wherever I taught him, is very independent. Good, good. That, that is... That's good, learning those skills. Yeah, he is even better than my other children, like um, tip, neurotypical ones. So he is more independent than them, and he understands routine better than them. The only problem I have, I can't find uh, his special skill. He really likes music, and he is very athletic. He does parkour, he does uh, swimming, he does... Cycling. Well, good. He's very athletic. That's good. And see, the problem you got with autism is it's such a wide spectrum now. Let's say you take a diagnosis like dyslexia. Okay, there's problems with reading mm -hmm. or ADHD. You know, you tend to, you know, uh, detention. It's a much narrower diagnosis. And this is the problem we've got. We've probably got half of autistic kids that have a special skill, and there's going to be some that don't really have a special skill. Yeah, he has well, autism, ADHD, and dyslexia, all three, and Erlen syndrome. Well, the Erlen syndrome, um, have you tried the Erlen glasses? Yes, I, I myself, I qualified uh, as well. I just took the course so I can keep checking on him. Uh, yeah, we got the glasses. Well, the other thing I find that, that works also for people that have Erlen syndrome, I talked about the colored paper. Yeah, we do use. Yeah, we do use all of his notebooks are turquoise. Well, like I've got a tan shirt on right now, and that would be one of the colors, the light tan like this shirt. Some people like that, and then other people, they like this light blue that's on my children's project book. Yeah, 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 that light blue, that's the thing for him. Light blue, like my tie. Yes, it calms him. The pale uh, colors. Yeah, yeah. Not, not dark blue, light blue. Yeah, I changed light those, but black. he still have sensory, visual sensory problems. So is and there any about, connection? Now, what about uh, uh, sound sensitivity? Sound sensitivity he has, but I uh, kind of um, always um, give him that opportunity. Like you said, he's in charge of hair dryer, okay. he's in charge of hand dryer, you know, when we go to cinema, yeah. at the beginning he was very hesitated, but then he got used to, now he is properly sitting like other children. So I kind of make him to be prone to that, and he's used well, to it. Well, that's good that you see, you see him and making him, see when the child turns the hair dryer on and off, or the vacuum on and off, where they control it. Yes. That should desensitize some of that. Yeah, but still I'm struggling with his memory and his visual sensory. Like, my cat and him, they prefer the same toy. You know what I mean? Like, he will kind of keep doing with that, uh, playing with that toy, even though he has thousand other toys. Uh, but and his preference... he taking turns at a game? He was not good. He was having meltdowns. He would get angry. But I, I kind of uh, desensitized him with that as well, like on the cues of airport, um, like slowly, slowly by rewarding him using ABA techniques. And, well, and, you, and, you, and you don't have a surprise at the airport. You know, like you watch videos. And, and uh, 
I found that one of the things that I got afraid of them, but made them interesting. Yeah, that exactly. That uh, sports. What, what one parent did about the hand dryers in the bathrooms, they went to the websites of all the manufacturers of the hand dryers, and then they got interested in how they worked and they collected all the websites <laughs> of hand dryer manufacturers. No, seriously. This actually helped. Yeah, yeah, it's the same with him. Wherever we started with, like even food, diet, we started with him. At the beginning, he didn't like. Now he loves uh, healthy, you know, clean food. He wouldn't oh. eat rice before. He was addicted to all these carbs, rice. Oh, that is bad. Now he and wouldn't I get, eat. I get worried that some of these kids with these restrictive diets are going to get the old vitamin deficiency diseases. There was a horrible case where a kid got scurvy. Which yeah. is vitamin C deficiency. Because yeah. Because the diet was so restricted. Maybe we need to get somebody else to ask a question. I want to give somebody else a turn. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thank you. Hi, um, good morning and nice to meet you. You made a point about uh, people who don't speak much, uh, they're more on touching and smelling things. And I just wanted to know how can that be helped and how can they be, me, uh, they be helped to speak better? Well, that if if you want to look, if you read, I really recommend that you read Tito's book, How Can I Talk If My Lips Don't Move? It is available in an electronic book. I checked Amazon recently. It is available. And he talks about vision being scrambled. Also, the Japanese boy in the sequel, which I think is a better book, he talks about being like a broken robot and having problems with controlling his movements. And if you have an older child or an adult that's either non-speaking or very poor speaking, I really recommend these books because it gives the inside view of, of their issues. And I don't have scrambled vision. I see just fine. You see, this is where autism has, uh, has all, all these variations. But some of them uh, have get scrambled vision and then smell and touch actually work. Those senses are giving accurate information, so then they tend to use them since they work. So the, the have, wish, I the really wish. Recommend, um, really, really, really recommend those books. Um, they, um, I can just, I've got a, power, a PDF here. I'll just hold up that slide again of those books right there. Oh, if you have an older kid, or an adult that doesn't speak, um, those, are, those books are going to give you so much insight. They type independently. Nobody's holding their wrist or their arm. They type completely independently, and they describe sensory scrambling. Now, I don't have this. I have sound sensitivity. And then there's some, uh, I have students that had the problem with uh, print jingling on the page. But see, this is where the sensory stuff is so varied. Sensory <coughs> problems a lot worse than mine is. Good morning. I have, my question is how to teach taking turns. There is a child, eight year old. He struggles with taking turns. He can't wait. And while well, playing. That, that was the reason why when I was three. Uh, we spent a big part of my therapy was learning how to wait and take turns in games. Yeah, how do I teach? How do I do it? Like uh, there, sometimes there's a video activity happening, and there are three kids. One after another, they can watch their um, favorite 
clip, video clip for maybe five minutes. But he can't wait for others. Well, let's, let's do something where it's shorter than five minutes, okay. like uh, a board game. We play a lot of Parcheesi, which is a very simple board game where you shake little cups with dice in it and you move little wooden, uh, wooden uh, pieces around on the board. And, and uh, I remember grabbing that cup and mother said, you've got to wait for your sister to take her turn. And, and something where the, it's not five minutes. Let's do some turn-taking thing where it's... You One know, minute. You take a turn and Parcheesi takes 10 seconds. Okay, so I start with, I start with 10 seconds to, the first activity should be very uh, short. Well, but the, the thing is, the, my speech teacher that I had years ago, this would be like 1950, okay. I, she just knew that teaching the kids how to take, wait and take turns was super important. My therapy had a lot of emphasis on it. All right. Thank I'll wait in line. Okay, you're at the supermarket and you've got to wait in line. You can't cut to the front of the line. Uh, and the, that's also chart taking. The child is able to wait in queue, but only taking turns when there's a uh, person who is talking to him. He finds it difficult. In queue, well, nobody is speaking to each other. They are facing the other way, so he finds it very easy to wait in queue. But he okay, has. Okay. But when he has to play with other children or he has to watch a video and wait for that time, he feels that he's not given his, uh, I, he's not having control on his activity. I don't know what is the exact feeling he has. Well, he might try, he might try different things. When we were kids, we did a lot of relay races where you'd take turns running and kicking a ball or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, try some different things that involve taking turns. Now, if you're watching videos, uh, one thing I'd recommend is the phone be physically passed. All right. The phone, the phone has to be physically Physical passed around. Passed. Thank you so and much. The taking turns means the phone has to be given to the other person and passed around if you're doing something on a phone. All right. I think that's going to help on the taking turns. Thank you so much. Okay, let well, me get another question. Uh, hi, Doctor. Uh, nice to meet you today. Uh, in the last five years, uh, we're hearing uh, somebody tell like, uh, autism causes by uh, TV. I want today uh, listen uh, in uh, your opinion. Caused by what? I didn't hear you. Uh, TV, TV. Television. Television. TV. Yeah, so somebody tell that no no autism not caused by yeah. but if you let a uh, child spend 10 hours a day watching television that's not that's bad and it'll probably make the autism worse you know we need to be getting them out and doing things no but television does not cause autism thank you nice to meet you i'm eleonora I want to ask you, what uh, do you think about the connection between language and motor coordination? Is it important to improve motor coordination in autistic children, to improve also language? What do you think? Well, there's some really interesting things that's happening with horseback riding. 
and i've had parents tell me that their kid did their first words on a horse. now there's two, there's three things that happen on a horse. first of all, riding horses is really fun. yeah but the other thing is you have to balance and yeah rhythm. you're doing balancing and rhythm at the same time now occupational therapists and sensory integration might get you on on a swing and do some of the same thing but when you stimulate the vestibular system yeah with balance and rhythm that can be real helpful another simple thing that might work is you nail a board to the floor and then you have the person walk what they call walk the type yeah like this along the board that's nailed to the floor i mean it's only like that far above the floor um but you do these activities that stimulate the cerebellum yeah things like swinging um there's a paper i worked on years ago with ronna king elder child and they had him on swinging and working on speech and there's some good things with the motor and speech and and the thing that's not known is which kids respond to this you see this is the problem with any of these sensory things you know it works on one kid and another kid it doesn't work okay i worked on my squeeze machine some okay. kids respond to deep pressure other yeah. kids don't um this is where the sensory problems are, are real very um but some individuals they do swinging balancing rhythmic activities yeah. that can help on speech for some individuals okay we can use also music for example yeah. rhythm and that is very important the other yeah. thing is there are some individuals that can sing words before they speak them yeah. singing is on different brain circuits so they could sing the words rather than speak them sometimes this... that works thank you thank you Thank you, Dr. Grandin, for uh, wonderfully sharing your insights as uh, an autistic person. One thing that uh, has caught my arm is that uh, your parents, your mother, played a very key role in ensuring. Absolutely. In yeah, and another book um, you might find helpful, a book called The Way I See It, that's uh, I got a lot of little short um, articles in it. Uh, it's available on Amazon. Um, that might be helpful. Thank um, you. Yeah, I also have a lot of information on website, templegrandon.com. There's templegrandon.com. There's lots of free information on that. Thank you. So um, I'm a mother of um, triplet boys with autism. They are 11 years old. All different. Uh, they are all on a different spectrum. And uh, one is still nonverbal. And uh, my, all my sons are really not um, academically um, gifted. And there's one thing you have mentioned that you're really fortunate and happy that you have a wonderful career. Now, I would like to request if you can share, you know, one word or a direction to us parents. Often we find that we want to follow the typical growth, you know, go to kindergarten, go to primary, go to high school, go to university get a job, get married, all that. But our children, most of our children with autism don't really f seem to fit there. What can you tell well, us? The, the thing, you have uneven skills. I'm a, I'm a big believer in getting children exposed to lots of different things. Um, I did all kinds of things when I was a child. Cooking, sewing, woodworking, art, music. Um, I was a 
taught musical instruments and i was terrible at musical instruments but good at art and mechanical things and so you expose kids to lots of different things then you can see what they are good at but i know um like you look at this equipment here i've worked with people where a single welding class led to building things like what's shown in that picture and then another kid it might be mathematics and programming something you have to expose them and then you've got people with autism that are not going to be building equipment they're not going to be doing mathematics and programming um let's say if a kid that's good with numbers well then show him show him all the mathematical stuff here's some really cool pattern stuff right here i found in one of my science magazines with those patterns they all have mathematics behind them isn't that cool <laughs> in a science magazine yeah, you know, but, there's some kids that are going to just, um, uh, they may be gifted in that. You see, this is the problem. You know, they're really good at one thing, sometimes really bad at something else. And the people that build the equipment, like you see there, complicated stuff, most of them could not do algebra. It's all pure visual thinking. But they're building stuff like that. Thank you. I, um, I had a chance to go on a corporate jet the other day. Um, the guy that took one welding class, he builds entire beef plants, and there, he just has them memorized in his head. A single welding class. He's building entire beef plants. Um, unfortunately, now, we're he's ready. Not, he's not autistic. He's not autistic. Hmm. But I did work with several other people uh, in metalworking that I'm pretty sure were autistic. We're out of time now, so we're just going to have one more question. I know that we would. One more question. Hello? Midnight or whatever, I'm going to go to bed. But I'm really glad that I'm able to get up and talk to everybody. And I'm free to give the videotape around to people. There's more slides in this deck. You can go ahead and give people the whole slide deck. It wasn't time for tonight to show all the slides. Uh, hello, Dr. Grandin. Uh, thank you so much for the presentation. Uh, my question is, right now I'm working as a general practitioner, but when I was a teenager, I had a distant cousin who, at that time, uh, he was seven years old. He has symptoms of um, aggressive behavior and at times, but uh, most of the times he's a very quiet kid. He won't interact yeah. much and everything, but the aggressive behavior is the key point, like it's almost disruptive. And uh, later on, we diagnosed he has autism. But uh, how, old, how old was he when he was doing the destructive behavior? Uh, at seven years old. And uh, because of that, his whole family also have a history of mental illness, like other mental illness. It's uh, stigmatizing. It's so traumatizing for all of them, especially the boy. So how to like uh, deal with autism children with aggressive well, I, behavior? I behavior. The other thing you have to look at, what is bringing it on? Is there a problem with frustration with communication or with sensory overload? Uh, or communication. With, we've got to make sure he doesn't have a pain. If, if the child is not speaking, then you always have to make sure you do not have a hidden painful medical issue, like maybe an ear infection, urinary tract infection, acid reflux in their stomach, a toothache, something that's hurting that they cannot tell you about. I think that he had meningitis. Really, 
He had a meningitis. I also have problems with things like getting aggressive when I was a child. It was worse when I got tired. I had a pretty good sense of when she needed to just say, I need to go to my room and like, just calm down. Um, but for when I was seven, um, you know, I was fully verbal and there were consequences for aggressive behavior. No TV for one night. And then I threw a big tantrum. Mother would put me in my room and let me calm down for half an hour. And then she said, well, you know the rule. You join the family now. But um, there'll be no television tonight. You know, and I understood consequences, but I think there's some individuals where they may not make the connection between the tantrum they had in school and no uh, television that night. Uh, see, this is the problem with autism. You've got such a big range. Um, okay, I think that um, that was. And then you've got the autistic. You see, the people that I worked with that had the metal working shop and all the patents, designing equipment, they would have been more the Asperger type. They would have been no speech delay. You see, this is where that that Asperger type with no speech delay now has been merged in with the autism with speech delay. I had speech delay, so I was definitely not the Asperger type. And the people that I work with professionally in metal working work would have been the Asperger type. But they had social issues. I'll never forget one of the jobs. Um, I had to drag the guy out of the shop because before he got the plane engineer. <laughs> um, we're out of time now. Thank you very much. Thank, thank, thank you, you for joining us. Thank you. It's my honor to introduce Dr. Alec Sharma. Dr. Alec Sharma is the professor and head of the Department of Neurosurgery at LTM Medical College and Hospital in Mumbai, India. He is also the director of Neurogen Brain and Spine Institute and KLS Institute of Anti-Aging, both in Navi, Mumbai. He is the president of the Stem Cell Society in India and Vice President of the International Association of Neurorestoratology. He has published 172 scientific papers, authored 24 books, contributed chapters in 19 textbooks, and made over 200 scientific presentations. He is a world-renowned pioneer in the field of cellular therapy for neurological disorders having treated more than 12,000 patients from 75 different countries. His landmark accomplishments include the publication of the world's first scientific paper on the role of cellular therapy in autism. He has revolutionized the management of neurodevelopmental disorders with his innovative combination of cellular and integrative therapies. For this, he has received several international and national awards such as the Rose of Parsilisus Award from the EMA Oxford 2016, the European Award for Best Practices, Brussels 2018, the Bharat Gaurav Award, London 2019, the Newton Universal Legendary Award, Boston 2022, 
the Sino-Phil Asia International Peace Award, Manila 2023, etc. Let's welcome Dr. Alak Sharma. This is truly amazing to be in Dubai, to be at this wonderful international conference for autism and neurodevelopmental disorders, but most important to be able to give a talk immediately after Temple Grandin. What an honor. <laughs> I had never thought in my life that, you know, one day I'd be speaking after the legendary Temple Grandin. Temple, you're just so amazing. You're not you, your life, your thoughts, your work, your effort is not just an inspiration to people on the spectrum, to their families, but to all of us caretakers, researchers, and doctors in the field as well. Uh, so I'd like to begin by thank thanking Temple for the wonderful and amazing talk that she just gave. Uh, I'm going to speak on a new topic that's regenerative medicine in autism spectrum disorders. When I give a talk, I like to begin with this picture. This is a picture, this is a painting, a huge painting, the size of this entire wall, which I found in a hospital in Haolein, Taiwan. And when I, when I entered that hospital, I asked them, why is this picture here? They said, this is a picture of Lord Buddha going into the jungle to heal. And they said, the job of the physician is to reach out to people who are in suffering and heal them. So that's what we have to do, reach out and help those in need of healing. Now, if you look at the increasing prevalence of autism, it is actually unbelievable and incredible that the world has not taken notice of what's happening. You look and see in 2004, the incidence was one in 166. In 2023, it has become one in 36. At this rate, in the next two decades, every third child will be, will be on the autism spectrum. Okay, this is something we as medical professionals need to bring to the attention of society, of people, of governments, of administrators and rulers, that this is unprecedented. And that the facilities to take care of these children do not match up to the increasing incidence. There are about 70 million kids on the planet. That's 1% of the world's population. It's like a huge, a huge, huge percentage of people. So the current situation is that, you know, you have a child who has some symptoms. You know, the parents notice. You, you go to the doctor, therapist, get a diagnosis. And they say, what you can do is therapy. You start the therapy and you're back to where you were. So what's new? What am I going to be talking in this talk that's different? First, the concept of neurodiversity. And this is what Temple spoke of, okay? That we have to see how people on the spectrum are diverse, that they are not less than, they are different, that they have uneven talents and skills. So the concept of neurodiversity, because now there are going to be so many people on the planet that you can't look at them uh, in, in the way that we've been looking at them earlier. The other exciting thing, and I'm going to highlight that, is a better understanding of what's happening with the brain. And this is what has changed everything. Then the whole concept of neuronal regeneration, that it is possible to regenerate the brain that's not functioning as well. And the concept of multidisciplinary management, and of course, the main uh, base of my talk, which is cellular therapy. Now, 
What is new is that for the first time in medical history, we are now understanding which parts of the brain are functioning differently from neurotypical brains. And we've done scans, we've done a lot of research in this area, and you can see that list, the amygdala, the hippocampus, the parahippocampal gyrus, the cerebellum, the caudate nucleus, the mesial temporal lobes, thalamus, superior and middle temporal poles. So we've actually identified very clearly which parts of the brain are functioning less. We've also identified which parts of the brain are functioning more. Our focus so far has been on what these children can't do. What we also need to look at, which parts of their brain actually are functioning more than what neurotypical people do. And there are actually parts in the calcarine fissure, the Heschel's gyrus, cortical frontal areas that function more. They are hypermetabolic. So we need to understand this as well. And our work has been published in a landmark paper, among the first of it, it's in published literature in the World Journal of Nuclear Medicine, where we've clearly highlighted which parts of the brain work less and which are working more. Now, what we found here, and this is the only thing that we need to give attention to, because Temple again keeps talking of early intervention. She keeps talking about early intervention, and I'm going to show you the scientific base of the need for early intervention. And that is this, if you look at this graphic, you, you will see that, uh, you know, you will see that the brain metabolism over the years keeps on declining. So what you see in light green is how the brains of neurotypical kids, the brain metabolism keeps on increasing. Whereas children on the spectrum is the light blue, you can see it keeps on declining. What does this mean? It means the earlier we treat the children, the early intervention is there, the better results. Because the later you treat them, the hypermetabolism is actually increased. So the old thinking was that once the brain is damaged, you cannot regenerate it. And the new thinking is it's possible to regenerate the brain through cellular replacement and repair. The other thing that has changed in autism is the concept of multidisciplinary management. You know, so far what would happen is a person specializes in something and then that's all they would offer. So if, you're, if you do, you know, you're a center that has occupational therapy, you focus on occupational therapy, you have a center that does speech therapy, you focus on that, but what is the need is a multidisciplinary management, which includes everything, all the things listed, and cell therapy, which I will talk about, is one of them. So there is no one silver bullet. The management of autism will be multidisciplinary. So look at that. On the left-hand side, you see a fractured bone, and I ask yourself, will you give rehabilitation to a person with that fractured bone? Would anybody give physiotherapy on a broken bone? Now look at the left. You go to an orthopedic surgeon, you get it fixed, don't you? And now you give rehabilitation. But in autism, we do exactly the opposite. On the left-hand side, the blue area is the hypermetabolic brain. We are giving rehabilitation on a brain that's not functioning optimally, and then we are expecting results of a normal brain. It won't happen. But through cellular therapy, you can see on the right-hand side, the brain has started functioning again. Now, if you give rehabilitation, you are bound to get better results. So cell therapy is a promising new modality where you use healthy cells to replace damaged cells. So that's the damage, and you can see that there is recovery. So now look and see what are stem cells. So the word stem comes from the stem of a plant, and just like from the stem of a plant, you can have leaves, fruits, uh, everything else. There are some cells from which all the other cells arise. So the way stem cells work is they multiply, 
They convert into other cell types, they improve the blood supply, and they release certain positive growth chemicals. And because of that, they repair, they regenerate, and they replace damaged tissue. Cells are of two types. You can be autologous when you take from the patient, put it back in the patient, or donor cells when you take it from somebody else. There are different types of cells. You can get them from the embryo, but this is very controversial, so we do not use it. You can get them from the umbilical cord. You can get it from the patient itself, from the bone, and that's what we use. They are called adult stem cells, and induced pluripotent stem cells are in the research stage. So we work with adult stem cells because they are safe, they, they don't form tumors, they have no rejection, they are easily obtainable, and there are no ethical issues. There are different ways of injecting stem cells. You can inject it intrathecally into the spinal fluid, that's what we do, or intravenously, intramuscularly, through the nose or directly into the brain. How does cellular therapy work? We know the main problem in autism is there is hypoperfusion, decreased oxygenation and problems with the immune system and inflammation. Cell therapy works through both these mechanisms. So here is a small video showing the three basic steps, what we do. We do a bone marrow aspiration with a needle, separate the cells and inject it back. The whole process has only two needle pricks. Let's look at a video. There you can see with the needle we are aspirating bone marrow. That takes 15-20 minutes. The bone marrow is put into machines. Uh, it separates the cells. And once the cells are ready, with a very thin needle we inject it back. Just two needle pricks. And we take cells from the child and put it back into the child. So let's review what the world literature says. So there are a total of 33 clinical studies, published papers, which show a 80% success rate. 33 worldwide papers. And if you see a review of literature, the world's first scientific paper was published from India. It was by us. We also published the sixth one. The others came from China, Italy, uh, America, etc. So this is the world's first paper on cell therapy in autism, which we published in 2014. Uh, this was our paper, and it showed 91% uh, of the patients improved. The second paper came from China. Here again, they showed an 88% improvement. The third paper came from the United States by Dawson. Again, showing 90% improvement. This another paper from the United States by Kimberly et al. showing 90% success rate. This paper by Martinez from Mexico showing a 95% success rate. This paper from Vietnam by Tang et al. which showed a 93% success rate. This paper from Italy which showed a 78% success rate. Now this is a meta-analysis. This is a review of 460 patients and at the end, in this paper, they summarize that cellular therapy is safe and that it improves patients with autism spectrum regardless of what type of cell we use. In this other systemic review by Jing uh, Yang Q from China, they looked at 325 patients and again they said it is safe and effective. So there is enough published worldwide literature to show the effectiveness of cellular therapy. Now this is our latest paper. We had two papers, but I'll, I'll talk about the second paper because this was 254 patients. We use autologous bone marrow mononuclear cells. You can see the improvement in the various symptoms and almost all the symptoms, <coughs> whether it's social interaction, <coughs> eye contact, attention, stereotypical behavior, aggressiveness, hyperactivity, self-injurious behavior, um, sitting tolerance, command following, speech, communication, all these you can see above is the percentage uh, of improvement. And we have scales called ISI and CARS and you can see that there was a significant improvement, 94% and 95% in these scales. Now here's something interesting. The results depended on age. 
So those kids who are less than five years, we had a 97% success rate. Between five to 10, it reduced to 94. Between 10 to 15, 94 again. And 15 and above, it was 91. So the earlier we intervene, the better results we are likely to get. Here again, you can see on cars scale again, 98, 95, 90, 91. So you can see that age affects the outcome. Now, what was the objective proof? Because one is clinical improvement. So uh, in our study, we actually showed objective improvement. So above, this is a PET CT scan where the blue areas are the hypometabolic areas, the areas that are functioning less than normal. So you can see above all the blue. Now this is done on a Siemens machine. Below, you see six months later, and you can see the hypometabolic areas are gone. So this is objective proof. I'm just showing you one or two scans, but we have almost 3,000 such scans before and after that show that the brain damage, the parts of the brain that are not functioning appropriately in autism, they can be repaired. And this is proof of that. So this is on a Siemens machine and <coughs> this is on a GE machine. Again, you can see the cerebellum, blue area, hypometabolic, and below you can see that it has improved. So on two different sets of machines, Siemens machine and General Electric machines both show before and after improvement. We have a total of six scientific publications in the results of cell therapy in autism. And now international books, medical books are introducing chapters. So in this book on recent advances in autism, there is a chapter, Stem Cell Therapy in Autism Spectrum Disorders, and they've asked us to write the chapter. So we've written the chapter for this book. Now this is data, this, the, what I showed you earlier was published. This, this, this data of 1,000 patients has been sent for publication. But just to give you uh, an outcome, this is 1,010 patients. And again, you can see more or less similar symptomatic improvements. Again, the ISA and CAR scales, good improvement. Uh, individual domains of ISA. And uh, age-wise, again, you can see the same thing. Below five years, 89% improvement. Uh, above 15 years, it dropped to 80%. And this is the analysis. You can see above the blue areas, the damaged areas. And below, after cell therapy, you can see that the brain has got activated. You can again see above and below. So complications. So we've had no major complications. There has been no neurological deterioration, no infection. However, one major concern is that 3% of our patients uh, develop increased incidence of epilepsy when they already had epilepsy in the past. 10% of the patients get a spinal headache, which lasts for one or two days immediately after the procedure and there was some nausea, vomiting, local pain, etc. Now we've published this as a separate paper. People normally like to hide their adverse events. We've published a paper saying that seizures may happen as an adverse event because there is no treatment which does not have adverse events. But if you know it, you can actually manage it. So we've published this as well. Uh, now I'll just show you a couple of videos. Just uh, if you have little time, so yeah, we have some time. So I'll show you a couple of videos. There are three patients, three sets of patients from three continents. Uh, this is a child from America. Father was a cardiologist, mother is a nurse, and he's improved so much. Today, this kid is not only completely off the spectrum, this, this video is a little old, but he's stopping in school and he's doing wonderfully well. I couldn't get him to engage 
with me. I couldn't give, get him to give me eye contact. Over time, he started to lose a lot of vocabulary. Right around 18 months to the age of two years, he just slid backwards. He would flap like that, and he would walk on his tiptoes, look at the wall and be talking to the wall. He had problems with eye contact. He'd never look you straight in the eye. He had problems with his speech. Some research and found out about neurogen. And the big question that I had in my own mind was, what is there to lose? And I could not come up with a good answer. And I said, we have to do it. started seeing better eye contact, definitely a difference in his engagement with us, with his sibling, his mood. He was so much calmer. Now he's all about taking his own shower. I have to just prompt him to get out, but he'll wash himself and he'll put his clothes on. It's all the PET scan images. We just, I can't tell you the word, we were just so excited and thrilled. The areas that were hypoactive or non-active were warm. They were, there was, there was activity there. Ganesh has gone from the third grade, fourth month reading level to a seventh grade, first month reading level in five months. And now we have, we have Mercy over here. We went to different doctors, we went to different hospitals, and when I brought it up, they were like, oh, no, 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 don't worry. It's because they are boys, they are triplets, they were premature. I would be walking out and I'm like, bye. And no child is crying, no child is waving back bye. And by then, for sure, I knew that they should be doing that. The children had this behavior of disappearing. In fact, Eric disappeared three times in the middle of the night. The biting, the spitting, the scratching. How are we going to stop this behavior? We went to see the neurologist, and in five minutes, he said, these children are autistic. As parents, it was very traumatizing. First of all, we didn't understand what autistic means. So I decided to really get to read a lot about autism. I remember the first time I read about stem cell. I was like, wow, this is really good. We had a lot of questions which we 